0: Aloha, and welcome to A Dose of Positivity. I am your host, Donna Maltz, known to many as Mama Donna, and each week I invite positive, knowledgeable guests to share their wisdom, passion, inspiration, and their determination to positively impact our world. You will meet the most incredible social and environmentally responsible activists, artists, entrepreneurs, musicians, health and wellness advocates making a difference with their lives and their careers. The goal here is to bring you more positivity into your life. We invite you to share your goodness and inspiration, ask questions, and please invite others who are looking to be part of a positively, positive transformation. Thank you for joining us. Now it is time for a dose of positivity. Aloha. This is Donna Maltz, known to many as Mama Donna, your host to of a Dose of Positivity. And I want to welcome you to another epic episode where I interview thought leaders, change makers, and health professionals. I'm so expert especially over the top glad you're here today because we have an incredible conversation coming up. But I want to remind you all that this if you listen to the recording, this is a live show. And for everybody who's coming into the show right now, we welcome you to put your comments and feedback in the chat. And we do our best to get to every single comment or question uh, throughout the show. Um, While people are coming in each week, I do a brief reading from one of my books. Uh, This happens to be living like the future matters, the evolution of a soul-to-soul entrepreneur. And um, what I always take a reading from here that sets the tone before I introduce uh, one of our special guests, which happens to be Dashiell, known to all of us as Dash Kurz, who is the founder and the director of Hawaii Institute of Pacific Agriculture, otherwise known as HIP. And so when I say hip, I'm not talking about your biological hip that Sharon, our special guest, Sharon Sauer, told us all how to have our hips in good shape last week. Um, Dash is here to help us uh, have not just a fertile mind, but how to uh, make our earth a more fertile place to be. So again, while we're waiting for people to come in, I wanna welcome you to all grab a beverage. I have my organic cherry juice here with a spritz of um, organic oranges from our tree, uh, our trees outside. And if you guys stick on any, wants wants to stick around after the call, I always love to give you a a garden tour around the tour. If you have extra uh, questions, too shy to speak out during, episode we stay on for a few minutes afterwards where you can ask questions and dash will be on for a little while after the show as well so i we are going to be talking about regenerative agriculture food sovereignty today and i just want to read this short little episode, yeah, section from my book section from my book okay this is right when i moved to uh was moving to hawaii and I think you're going to really find this interesting when I read this to you. And if everybody could just sit back, um, ground your feet, hopefully if you're out, could be outside with your feet grounded on the earth, barefoot is best. But I want you to think about where you live and where your food comes from. I love the fact that Hawaii is the most isolated population center on the face of the earth. And that the air quality is some of the best in the world. What I did not appreciate was that the state that once produced all of its food now imports 85 to 90% of its food. I was once again on a mission to be part of the movement to increase food security and food self-sufficiency on the island. Our always in season farmstead market business had helped increase consumer demand for local produce, but there was much more that could be done. Hawaii, and think about this where you live in relation to an apple or an orange, is 2,390 miles from California, 3,850 miles from Japan, 4,900 miles from China, and 5,200 miles 80 miles from the Philippines. As the most geologically isolated state in the country, Hawaii imports approximately 90% of its food, according to the United States Department of Agriculture. Currently Hawaii has a supply of fresh produce for no more than 10 days. 90% of the beef 67% of the fresh vegetables, 65% of the fresh fruits and 80% of all milk purchased in the state are imported. The legislature further finds that Hawaii's reliance on out of state source of food places residents directly at risk of food shortage in the event of natural disaster, economic disruption and other external factors beyond the state's control. That's from the Hawaii State Legislation of 2012, because I wrote this book a couple of years ago. Back, unquote, greater consumer demand and pressure on political leaders is imperative for food security no matter where we live. So in 2011, this is where Dash comes in, who is our guest speaker today for all of you coming in. We're so honored to have you here, Dash from the Hawaii Institute of Pacific Agriculture. In 2011, the Hawaii Institute of Pacific Agriculture known as HIP, H-I-P, an exceptional permanent culture school in Kohala was established by the visionaries, Dash and Erica kuhn They invited me to be on their advisory team. It has been a rewarding journey to be part of this noble vision to help train the next generation of farmers. The curves are rooted in the land, the wisdom of the Aina. While raising three free range children, they and their committed team offer internships, youth programs, community events, and farm tours. The Institute has inspired hundreds of new organic farmers and citizens. Most currently, Hip is also responsible for bringing the first farm to cafe school to our local schools in the state. Every community would benefit from the powerful knowledge this forward-thinking organization brings forth. I'm delighted to share that HIP is helping to get our food hub cranked up and going. And actually at the time of this book, it was just going and now it is just soaring. And we are so awesomely thrilled to have you here today, Dash. And I know some of you um, on here on the call might know who Dash is. Dash, say hi, hello, Aloha.
1: hello. So, so
0: I, go ahead, go ahead.
1: So happy to be here. Yeah, just really happy to be on the call and uh, share.
0: So cool. So, I just want to just give you guys a little bit more up, a background about Dash while people, because people are still coming into the call right now. But he's, he's a lead facilitator to, to HIP, him and his wife, Erica. And he, his personal dedication is to the restoration of human and environmental health. And you all know Mama Donna, you know that that is, I mean, Dash and I are kindred spirits. Um, he has educated and mentored, like I said, hundreds of youth. And young adults and he's got gardens growing at uh, both the elementary school and the high school. He's working with non-profit organizations, food co- um, cooperatives and farms and Dash has led and developed numerous gardening and sustainable initiatives at the state level. Dash appreciates um, apprenticed under master permaculture designer Tom Baldwin who um, also studied with Bill Mollison and Jeff Layton and Bullock, the Bullock brothers. Now, these are names that some of you on the call might know, but these are like the, gra- the, the fathers of uh, uh, the stewards of permaculture. For three years at a, as a farm manager, um, anyway, he designed these permaculture farms on Hawaii. He's done incredible things, uh, not just in our local community, but like I said, he has been on the uh, Farmers Union Committee and has done things at the legislative level. Every single aspect of agriculture, regenerative farming in particular is in great need of leaders like Dash. Current projects include installation of 60 dwarf coconuts and 300 bananas in polyculture systems and permaculture designs for 120 acre food production and reforestation project. So anyway, there, there's so many things and Dash, what I think I would love to do is um, ask you right now, if you can elaborate, because uh, this is a little bit uh, moving forward into where you're at now. Uh, post, actually in the midst of COVID, Dash, both of his, his, his children have come down with COVID and we're so honored that you're here. He's been treating the kids natural, naturally um, to get through this and um, I just so honored to have you come on and just share your wisdom, and everybody take advantage of this time with him, because the information he is gonna he can serve you with to help you motivate yourself to get into regenerative farming or to help build your a community self reliance is unbelievable. So Dash, can you please give us a little bit backstory on how you? got to where you are and how you realize our food system is in trouble and the sequential steps inspiring you to get where you are today and start HIP too.
1: Yeah, sure. I would be happy to share. I mean, you know, I guess I kind of did my first uh, vegetable garden after high school and we had a really bumper crop that summer. And you could say that I got hooked on gardening and eating, you know, fresh local foods and and really, as I started consuming more organic vegetables and fresh fruits and just like on that healthy lifestyle tip, I, I feel like it really triggered an awakening in myself, you know, an awakening of, of consciousness and, and care and compassion for my peers and, and their suffering and, you know, and I really came to an awareness that uh, our world is headed for, you know, pretty big food crises, like we're up against some real some real numbers and data in terms of the amount of food we can sustainably grow from the planet and the amount of human beings that we have and and looking in the context of how do we address some of our biggest, most challenging uh, social and environmental issues uh, led me into the study of agriculture and and really recognizing regenerative agriculture and, and eventually permaculture and agroforestry as a key uh, to a way that humans can move forward in a really healthy and sustainable way. So I, uh, you know, I guess I've been gardening since I got out of school and yeah, it's been almost like 20 years that I've been gardening and I, I became a, an urban garden educator and, and that urban garden was my classroom for teaching youth. And as the years unfolded, then I, I came to uh, have various farms I've uh, managed different farms and I I used to lease a farm and most recently uh, we bought a 26 acre farm on the the North shore of Big Island, which is now our, you know, our long-term home and campus for this work of, of creating food abundance and teaching others how to do so as well.
0: So how, how you, you know, during this whole process of you doing this and, um, since I've known you, you've had your three children, pretty much. How how has your relationship with the land and producing this food uh, united you as a family? And and talk more about this. I mean, you're like you you're in this school system, and you're 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 teaching these children. And I guess what I'm getting at is when I I know when I had Jazz, our son. I mean, it just changed everything for me. I wasn't just doing it for myself. It was like planting seeds of change for the young minds. And I know some of the people who are listening to this um, call right now are educators working in either school systems or low-income um, cities, urban environments. So, when you're when you're talking about moving forward with with how you did this. Like what tag tugged at you to make this your mission, your life's goal to do what you're doing? Cause you are so passionate about this stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it, uh, it started with my own process of healing, uh, and realizing, you know, I, I got out of school and I just like, wasn't that well, I hadn't been treating my body well. And as I started eating pure and organic foods, it like it healed my body and it awakened my consciousness. And then I, I like, through that awakening, I guess that deep compassion arose for my peers. And I I really had that understanding that many people were going to get ill from bad food, um, from eating the wrong food, you know, all these preventable diseases, right, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, all these things. And so I started as a nutrition educator, really, uh, working to try to inspire youth to avoid disease through conscious uh, food decisions. And that in itself was such an amazing process to be an educator uh, that was working against this massive tide of billions of dollars of marketing and advertising of junk food to children. And, and it was really for me like peeling back this veil of our food system, you know, like we're eating all of these foods that may be leading to cancer and, disease, and yet nobody's telling us, right, like the mainstream media doesn't talk about it, you know, and even that that was like so hard for me to to witness the mainstream media throughout COVID, um, just that it was never addressed the fundamental issue of comorbidities, you know, and, and the fact that obesity led to higher, you know, death rates, or, uh, and so yeah, I started as an educator, and I've been like passionately, I guess, committed to educating the next generation, uh, to eat healthy, to eat well. And then food access is a big thing, right? Because you can educate people all day long. I actually, some of my first educational programs I did were like in the inner city in uh, San Diego and really challenging, right? Because food access is a real issue. You can teach people how to eat healthy, but they literally may not be able to afford it or access it. And so that's where, you know, I, from nutrition educator, I became a garden educator. And then you know it kind of progressed to being a farmer myself and creating food access by creating abundant spaces uh, you know we did the first like urban uh, we did the first edible landscape in balboa park which is like that hu- you know the huge park in san diego city and thousands of acres but they had no fruit trees and um, you know i've just been continuing on that process of creating food security in whatever community that i live in Creating food access, feeding children, feeding families, and that's really you know what our organization is still continuing to do uh, to this day.
0: Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the economics and the the, the political ploy behind, behind food, the food and drug and uh, connection, food and drug cartel, I, I like to say, and um, how how food, why why is food sovereignty? So important. Why should people on this call or people listening to this um, care?
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting. Like when I, when I think of food sovereignty, I think of, you know, means of production in the hands of the people so that they can grow food for themselves. Um, and right now we have a real challenge of the haves and haves have nots. And, you know, who has the capital, who has the means of production, who controls it? And at this point, it's a very small percentage. And so, you know, I think we have a challenge that if we don't create uh, just and equitable food systems, you know, we're going to head towards some sort of violent uh, clash or or revolution. Um, And I think, again, that can be avoided if we can build equity, if we can build equitable food systems, but it's, it's big work that we have ahead of us. And we have, um, you know, a shrinking timeline or a narrow window upon which we can act to really establish regional uh, local food economies. And, you know, right now is the time to do it. And there's a lot of money uh, coming down the pipe from the feds and the state. Like, I think more government agencies are waking up to the fact that we're extremely vulnerable to shocks to the system. Like COVID taught us that, um, other you know crises have taught us that over the last ten years, and uh, so yeah, how are we going to get to this place of you know regional local economies that are abundant?
0: Can can you share with us like what what does that look like? What paint a picture for someone in San Diego versus someone on the Big Island, and what 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 are people? What can people or what are people doing, and if if it's truly that desperate, um, let's talk. Like, let's let's be real here. Let's let's bring it, bring some truth forward. And and what 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 should people be thinking and doing right now? Dash.
1: Yeah, I mean, like the stats I was reading it was like 2030 was when they're predicting the perfect storm worldwide of food, energy, and water shortages, and so it's kind of like how do you wanna be set up and prepared for that? And, and what is resiliency? How do we create resiliency? You know, How do we create resilient communities? For me, that picture in the rural place that we live in is a lattice work of small family farms that are working collaboratively to grow some crops that they do shared distribution and value added processing with. And then uh, a handful of other crops that they are involved with in more of like a barter economy sense. Um, And it's a, it's a circular economy that, you know, has craftsmen and uh, builders and, uh, you know, skilled trades and growers all kind of working collaboratively towards the shared goal of a circular economy. And um, yeah, it takes, it's going to take quite a bit of investment to get there. Uh, You know, it's interesting to think of that, la like we have a, a board member that grew up in la and when she was a child you know la was like a huge lattice work of backyard gardeners and and orchards there was like a stunning amount of agriculture in la county like she was telling me this story and it was just like in la i couldn't even envision or imagine um so i think it, you know it's going to look different in urban areas but it's that that vision of a diversity of growers all kind of sharing their food bringing their abundance to market
0: yeah you know i'm glad you mentioned la because one of our guests coming up uh, uh alexa mars her her daughter um rainbow mars In, in sorry about that fedex here uh speaking about part of the problem. sorry i'm just gonna mute for a second
1: and also in hawaii it's it's um You know, what is that interaction of the small family farm and that lattice work of small family farms with our local ecosystems and watersheds and, you know, through our proper land stewardship, can we also see, you know, improved health of our rivers and our forests and our oceans and I I would say that, you know, yes, we should see that through regenerative agriculture
0: yeah now that my dog stopped barking sorry about that listen you guys there are so many exciting things happening in the urban environments there are people who are organizing in cities everywhere from new york city to la and in between regenerative um uh blocks where everybody is challenged in in a very productive way and you can do this in your own communities where they are everybody is who has a lawn has turned it into a garden and i will put that link in um the recordings in our podcast and in our YouTube station. But this is so, so important to realize um, and, and Dash, you can you can talk to this too, but in World War I and World War II, there was a thing on um, uprising movement called Victory Gardens. And we are, you know, really this close to almost, you know, we don't think so, like Dash saying 2030, well 2030, that's uh eight years away, people. It takes eight years to really get a fruit tree to plant any kind of abundance. So, if we want to, you know, secure a food system, whether you're in an urban environment or in a rural environment, the time to plant uh, these seeds of change is now. Um, and. I, I, am not an alarmist and I, and, you know, I mean, I did write my, my books to make people aware and to heighten people's awareness to, to what I know is to be true, what Dash is saying. Cause he, he researches and he reads and he teaches this it's happened before it's happened before that there have been famines. There are famines happening right now across the globe. Africa is drying up, India is too. There are monsoons in places that used to be deserts. So bringing a guest on like Dash, and like I said, if you guys have any any concerns or questions, or if this can excite you, I mean, this is a dose of positivity. This is a dose of reality. This is like the real deal here, where we can um, come together collectively and, and start communicating like the mycelium Beneath our feet which ties the entire earth together and start communicating and
1: the the dose of positivity is like just really the opportunity you know the the opportunity to create something really beautiful and to to birth to manifest to, to envision to to pray in like a whole different a whole different type of economy i mean i think a lot of us are extremely displeased with the current uh, economic economy, the way that it's set up, you know, the exploitation and, but it, it's also really challenging, right? Because we, we fight against, uh, these tides of convenience and ease and it's, uh, it takes a village in a way to, you know, raise the food and bake the bread or, or pound the boy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um,
1: you know, feed all the families and the children and th- those are discussions we're having right now, even, you know, as a family, it's like, how do we, take it to that next level of food sovereignty what does that look like you know is it is it all the families getting together once a week to prepare large amounts of food large amounts of sustenance that we grow because you know it takes a lot of time to process down cassava and taro if we're gonna you know make that into different patties and whatnot um but yeah i think the opportunity is like i live right now i live in a garden of eden Mm-hmm. like it's just extremely beautiful there's all sorts of flowers around me like i'm harvesting herbal medicine on almost a daily basis and incorporating it into like teas and soups you know i wildcrafted two wild mushrooms yesterday that went into our soup that was basically like 95% local soup you yeah. know the ducks the potatoes the plantains the carrots the celery like everything in the soup was local uh and so yeah to live in a garden of eden like that's pretty positive like if you can pull that off and if you can you know i guess that's kind of like would be a core message today is that you too if you don't already uh, i bet some of your listeners already live in beautiful beautiful spaces um and you know you can pretty much make even a desert can be a garden of eden certain times a year right
0: (laughs) They they did it in israel right Well, you know what? It's so cool. I love what you're saying in some of the comments coming in right now. If everybody could put themselves on mute, that would be great. But I love so much that you know you don't like. I don't grow all the vegetables. I I buy my vegetables from a bag at the farmers market. Um, Like, and and just supporting your local farmers. Or if you do have a lawn, putting in flowers or trees, anything. So carbon carbon sequestering beauty. Um, any kind of flower, any kind of tree is going to invite the bees and the bees and pollinate and the bees pollination creates the seeds that bring in the next generation and harvest for whether it's a wild animal or a human human being can eat on um, something from from the garden. And if you guys don't know what cassava is and breadfruit, I mean, we we have like the canoe crops here and that, that brings us to Dash Um, one of the things that I wanted to share with everybody was um, you know the idea of why it is so important to plant whatever it is and to unity and community builds immunity right that's one thing I bring that up quite often on the shows and how we can bring more unity um, uh, into our communities not just to build our own health immunities but the immunity of our our overall community the whole ecosystem where we live. And I love what you were saying is it's like, who's gonna make the plant medicine? Who's gonna plant the flowers for the bees? I mean, it takes it takes all aspects of that and making what we're, what we're talking about doing is what could be more sexy and more exciting and genuine and real than propagating plants and medicine and food. And when we look at the average age of a farmer is like 58, 60 years old today, how do we how do we get that message across? And that's one of the things that I'm super excited um, for you to talk about all the things that you're doing to excite new young farmers um, to get into, into this beautiful uh, noble profession and how we've turned like the food pyramid is all wrong and upside down. So is the, our commerce system when people will pay $20 for a martini and bitch about the price of asparagus. So changing that concept of our professions and paying our farmers and uh, what they're worth and getting the next generation of farmers um, excited about this. And that's what you're doing there. You're you're training farmers, right? So. I would love for you to talk about that. What what you've seen is your most success in getting uh, people excited about taking to the fields.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, and just kind of reflecting on Aaron's comment as well, like I just 100% agree that not everyone's going to be a grower, you know, and like we do need more, we do need more farmers. I mean, I think in kind of like a broader sense, I would love to see more national wide effort for reforestation and like that level of volunteerism and engagement of like communities coming out to plant together like i think is a really beautiful thing but in that effort you know some people maybe are preparing the soup some people are you know attending the the festival grounds or or you know whatever that mechanism is for the reforestation to take ha- uh take out to happen uh for that action to happen it really there's so many different roles that we can play in building, uh, just and equitable food systems, even just from shopping at farmer's market and beyond. And, uh, yeah, in regards to youth and inspiring the next generation, like, it's just a process. I mean, it's a, it, it's a process. It's a challenge. Uh, you know, I, I've always looked at it as planting seeds, like planting seeds of consciousness in the youth and and i feel like those seeds you know when you plant a lot of seeds sometimes some trees will maybe bear a lot of fruit like really prolific maybe some trees will just flower and not bear fruit um and i i think of that as well with our teachings with youth like we've we've provided education for you know over a thousand youth in our area Uh, many of them for repeat visits to the farm and and that's we're taking like a long view of building interest uh among youth in in eating local foods and you know doing volunteerism on farms and considering being their own backyard gardeners and growers and maybe getting into careers and jobs of agriculture or their support industries right they could be you know marketing the food they could be Right. you know processing the food so there's there's like lots of opportunities in in the rural economy uh and i think that's been our approach with the youth is like really sowing those seeds of awareness and if they don't know if they they don't even have the information how can they make a decision to get involved or if they they're not connected to a local farm how do they know that's not an opportunity you know for them to participate And I'm encouraged to see that you know the fastest growing demographic of young farmers in in America is uh, young women, and you know there's just uh, the consciousness is there. You know I think a lot of a lot of young people are waking up to the vulnerabilities of our food system and wanting to take action. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see an acceleration of that in the coming years, and there'll be some some bigger efforts to uh, reforest North America into agroforestry, into mixed tree crops that sequester carbon while providing sustenance and food. Mark Shepherd's got a pretty cool model that I'd prefer, you know, if I was in North America, I'd probably be doing something like that with this kind of layered mixed agroforestry, you know, oak savanna kind of thing and livestock underneath.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, talk a little bit of, more about the, there's, there's some vegans on, on, the, on the call right now. And I know that um, that it's sometimes a bone of contention when we talk about livestock. And I'd like to hear your, uh, your take on that, Dash, and how looking at the whole food system and how, how that works.
1: Yeah, you know, like, let's see, did the Hawaiians, the Hawaiians didn't use a lot of animal manures actually. So, can the vegan garden be accomplished? You know, can you just produce a lot of uh, calories and starches and fruits just with um, organic plant mulches? I would say yes. Like, you can do a lot just with plant mulches. Uh, in olden times, there was some like old archaeological data. I don't even know how they got this, but they, they were predicting they thought that um, back in the day they would put two tons something crazy was like a ton of organic matter per quarter acre. It was just like this huge volume of organic matter they would bring in of leaf litter. And of course, Donna, you know, kukui tree, the candle nut uh, was a really popular mulch crop uh, for Hawaii gardens and gardeners. And, you know, I, I think sometimes they would maybe incorporate some poultry manures because they did raise some chickens as well um so I, I think it's up to the individual gardener or grower whether they want to incorporate manures um i really i really uh find manures help our plants thrive you know our our we we use manures on our farm and we source them from you know clean sources and uh we like to compost them and uh that added bit of nitrogen does help kick off the crops a bit more in my personal experience and then we, we rotate some animals, but not for like meat consumption, we just have a couple of horses that keep kind of mow our orchard, you know, I think they do re- reduce our mowing and they do, um, we do gather their manure and incorporate it into the gardens, I also run ducks in the orchard. And the ducks have just been amazing uh, they've been amazing for pest control they really reduce this uh, small. You probably have it up at your farm, Donna. Do you get that small brown cockroach with your citrus?
0: Yeah, that, that stings the orange.
1: And it's like, sometimes they're all over the citrus trees. Yeah, the brown. Yeah. So our ducks just clean the land of those cockroaches. And I had so many when we first got here and we've been running ducks two years now and they've greatly reduced them. And it's like to the point where if you don't have the ducks, like those little brown cockroaches, you'll get a bunch of them in the home as well. They kind of come into the house. So, and of course, the ducks also go for the slugs, which in Hawaii we have the rat lung disease, uh, which is a really gnarly uh, infectious disease that you can get from inadvertently consuming slug, like if it's in your produce. And so they also clean the grounds of slugs. Um, So I've been, I've just been absolutely thrilled with the ducks. And I, you know, I think like we in nature, animals and plants aren't separated out, right? And in permaculture, we design systems where animals are incorporated into these kind of man-made gardens, and they they do have important roles to play, and I think can add a lot of value. And you know, you could keep a flock of ducks and still not not harvest any of them. Um, we raise our ducks are actually egg laying ducks, and so yeah, we're raising them primarily for eggs.
0: That's so great, you know. And that the movie, The Biggest Little Farm. Tell if you can find that link and put it in. That's a great movie where where they, they talk about how this regenerative farm came happened over seven years. Um, that's a usual cycle for nature to really gain its health back. But it was the ducks that pretty much saved their orchard um, from, from these bugs. Yeah, there's so many ways. Um, and, and that brings me to, to talking about diversity and biodiversity and why uh, that is such a important concept to be teaching, not just as, terms of uh, inequality and racism in the society, but in eco genocide, and all of those things that are separating, um, you know, all this inequality, a monocropping homogenized societies um, are not healthy, they're not sustainable. And having a diverse model, like you're talking about, um, can you talk about the value of biodiversity? Um, On take it to the next level. And how people can even incorporate this in their home gardens?
1: Yeah, it makes me think of a uh, Vandana Shiva wrote an article for Fatal Harvest, this uh, big book called Monocultures. What was it Monocultures and Monocultures of Mind? You know, and she was just drawing that that comparison of uh, the education and then also these these monocultures. Yeah, and the monocultures have really erased and destroyed uh, biodiversity in a big way. We're, we're still, we came, we purchased this land and it was extremely diverse uh, in terms of tree species and you know, shrubs and medicinal plants, but we're continuing to increase the biodiversity on the farm. Um, I think a lot of viewers already know that biodiversity equates with uh, resiliency And I like to think of it as like, I'm wrapping myself, you know, as they're predicting more inclement and unpredictable weather, um, I'm wrapping myself in an ecological buffer. And like, we need to create these ecological buffer zones all around the planet, because these ecological buffer zones are where humans are going to end up living and and sustaining. Uh, The other places are going to be less and less habitable. I mean, we're already inhabiting some places that are not really habitable without you know our technology right but so i'm wrapping cloaking myself in this uh, protective ecological buffer zone that's going to help me weather the storm it's like a boat right like it's going to help me weather the storm of intensifying climate and what that looks like for us is a lot of diversity uh diversity of you know starch crops and you know i i still want to roll out more more bean varieties that i want to cultivate and uh, we're, we're just added new tree species recently and we're gonna keep doing so. Uh, and yeah, again, that diversity is because you know what, like you get three months of drought and the water goes off in the mountains, you know, and, and all of a sudden a whole crop dies or right now we're dealing with the avocado blight, a new avocado blight, and they're predicting it could completely wipe out all the avocados. Imagine if you just had an avocado farm. So we, we practice the diversity to be able to mitigate the impacts of a changing climate and introduction of new pests and blights, which is also a reality of changing climate as well. As the temperatures rise, new viruses can come in, uh, new insect diseases. Um,
0: it's having like, in, they always say, having a diversified portfolio has gives you economic health and financial stability having a diversified portfolio so what dash what you're saying and and which makes sense to anybody no matter where you are having a diversified mind you know being objective and being open minded and not shallow minded but also really looking to your community and what what resources you have there like dash was talking about earlier and 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 collaborating with everybody appreciating that diversity, especially when it comes to your food and water source. And I, I keep looking to your shirt and it's... And it's um, We haven't even talked about the fish and the waters and actually one of the main proteins that the Hawaiian culture uh, relied on was fish and, and the whole ocean environment and all the critters of the sea. And they use the seaweed and the mulch and, uh, from, from the ocean Um, to realize um, how valuable our lakes, our rivers, our oceans are to our agricultural system and how the industrial food complex is eroding those water streams, which is like the blood of our bodies. And you start pouring toxins into your blood, what happens? And we have a system right now, this industrial food complex that is just pouring these toxins into the blood of mother earth and it's running full in this cycle of, of of chaos and crisis and what we're talking about here in a dose of positivity is how do we reverse that how do we go back it was just a hundred years ago before fossil fuels and all of this whole fossil fuel economy took over our whole agricultural complex and turned it into an, an, basically industrial agricultural wasteland and so this this conversation is really really important it's not uh like oh you know if you don't do no it's like this is what we can do this is and what 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 i love that um the, the approach in dash i would love you to spend some time talking about the school project and how you were able to get into the school systems and um and like Dash was talking about earlier, there's many ways you don't have to actually grow the food yourself, but growing these ideas is just as important and those farmers will come. And um, But that brings me back to growing these, the young minds and how were you able to do what you did in the school systems to, to get this awareness into the young minds in our community? And what can other people do right where they are right now to improve the food system where they live?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question. It's so it's so regional in focus, right? Like our, our regions have such different challenges. And you know, again, I'm like operating from a worldview that uh, there are going to be kind of some of these larger challenges in the future. So it's been important for us to set ourselves up in a, a region that has like longer term water security and mm-hmm um you know abundant arable land so we can actually you know have the foundation to build that economy but yeah there's so many there are so many things we can do in every region and i think education um is potentially a good place to start um i'm trying to think like there's so many different spaces across the u.s like you know where do you have where can you have the most impact in creating food security for your space but whether, you know, it's an urban garden or a rural country farm. It's like the demand is growing. Like so many people are waking up to the fact that the food web, you know, the industrial food web is poisoned. And if anyone cares about their health, they're like avoiding these, like these foods that are just filled with toxic chemicals. So we're seeing our local farmers markets growing. We're seeing CSA programs growing. We're seeing you know, community gardens growing. And that, again, is like the positive aspect of people turning away from that system. And and it's the opportunity for your listeners to get involved with their regional local economy as it's it's blossoming. And uh, yeah, we should engage the youth. Like we have to engage the, the youth of the next generation because, you know, they're going to face the biggest brunt of these climate changes, the most negative impacts. And they are also have the most energy to to organize and fight and like do the work you know really do the work and lead it and so i think as educators we can inspire that, that's been my goal as an educator how do i inspire the youth to grasp this challenge and then really run with it they're also less uh invested in the current system we have they're less tied down like they don't have the mortgages like we we may need to like the we in a way we need like a pretty fundamental you know social political inversion of full like revolution and flip but it's it's hard because a lot of us have like mortgages and jobs and economic pressures and I feel like the youth are so ripe for a revolution in that way um, they could actually really turn their back you know to to some of the principles that are are holding us. Um, for making the bigger changes. so I, yeah. I feel like I, I love educating youth for that reason,
0: yeah, and inspiring them and in there and and there's, there's all kinds of power, right? And, you know, I might be going like this, you know, like, rah, rah, but, you know, I'm the most passive person I know. The, the the biggest muscle and the most powerful muscle we have is the brain and the heart. And to come in with diplomacy and to get these young activists in uh, political positions because it's that political system that is so corrupt and that is it, it, it is being driven by the uh, econo- economic Engine run by fossil fuels, which our whole agricultural industry is run upon, and so, they're getting making making those points. I mean, it's like, you know, I think kids. I know we're we're. I'm waking up to that, right? And and I and these kids. You know, you you want to fire them up, and, and get them uh, activated, to 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 get in there and and make that difference. And not be afraid to enter these systems and, and make the systemic changes that, that must happen in order for us to continue so our children can breathe clean air and, and drink water and, and eat food and not, I mean, they're talking about making um, our meat in a laboratory now if people are going to eat that. I mean, just do you want your children growing up like that? I mean, really people, do we, do we want that? Or do we wanna talk about places like HIP, the Hawaii Institute of Pacific Agriculture and the other um, institutions and schools that are around uh, the country? There's several sustainable um, farm programs, probably right within a, maybe a few hundred miles of where you live. Oh, wow, here we go. Oh yes. The um, horses are out
1: on the land you know uh, they just came out do a little grazing
0: so awesome
1: yeah i mean i i consider myself like a, a social entrepreneur i mean we founded this nonprofit organization and we also have an llc that does some agritourism here on the farm and i i think entrepreneurship is a really cool vehicle for youth as well i mean um, when I got out of school and, you know, I had been studying sociology and it was like studying all the social problems. And then there was like, absolutely no answers. You know, the only answers, uh, when I got out, I was like looking for jobs, uh, was, you know, there, it was social work, but it's all on the, uh, the side of, it's not on the prevention side. And so I really have had to create like my own livelihood in the green economy sector, so to speak, because it wasn't there for me. There wasn't a job for me when I was looking for work to say, you know, run a community farm that improves community health that like wasn't on the job listings. And so I know that Donna, you're like an amazing entrepreneur yourself, a huge inspiration to me, uh, a leader that was, you know, a forefront on the movement like years and years before Erica and I. And you know as well that entrepreneurship, like that's a vehicle for us to be able to create. Uh, green economies and and so that's something I'm in. to I teach youth and I'll continue to teach youth.
0: yeah well I'm so glad thank you for that and and I I really take that as the greatest compliment that that's um my legacy to to inspire people to get into business because it's your business what you do with your life it's your business what you put in your mouth and one bite at a time it's your business how you make a difference in the world I mean that's just a simple act. If you're not a grower, it's okay. If you want to grow flowers instead of fruit, you're growing food for bees and other animals. But growing food is for important. The soul. What's that? Oh,
1: grow- flowers like you know, food for the soul, as Tim food Head would say. Soul.
0: And and food is and and flowers. Lots of them are are, are medic- It's medicine. All those herbs too. But just. To, uh, sovereignty just the word sovereignty we have lost Mm -hmm. that getting back to monocropping and homogenizing our societies and not taking like our hands into our own hands and putting our hands where they belong which is in the earth with the mother and and wising up and rising up as tubby love says or mike love one of them wise up rise up um I, I just I want to make sure that everybody who's listening understands that this is about food for people and the planet. This is about all of life kind. This isn't just about humans surviving on this planet. This is about cohabitating with your own fellow species, no matter what color skin they are, the diversity, the biodiversity, and all the plants and all the animals that deserve, and they're God's creation, part of the universe that we live in. And they need to eat too. We are a conscious group of people on a dose of positivity. We are people who are bold and who are brave and who are willing to go out into their communities, like Dasha has, and and grow and create a school that's educating the youth to take the world and look at it through a different lens. To know that there is a better way, there is a right livelihood way. There is, as the Buddhists say, right livelihood. That's one of their main conscious ways of living like I say, living like the future matters. And I I just wanna read one one little thing here. It's just a quote from a woman named Liz Carlis. And she says, colonization has been uprooting people and plants on this continent for hundreds of years. If we really want to build a regenerative agriculture and balance the climate, we have to heal that process of uprooting, healing grounds, climate justice, and the deep root of regenerative farming. That is from her book, Liz Carlos. And if you read my books too, Conscious Cures, Living Like the Future Matters, I'm sure Liz and I would be great friends. Writing is a form, poetry, art, music, All these forms of expression, entrepreneurship, are ways that we can bring this this movement forward. Who are you? What do you love to do? What's your purposeful why? What are you putting in and on your body? What are you teaching your children? What kind of world do we wanna leave for the next generation of ants and humans? rhinoceroses, hopefully. And one of the most important and noble things that we can do is is either farm, teach people about farming, create value-added products, build unity in our communities and build our immunity. And um, one of the things that I'm so, so proud of you Dash for doing is working within the Hawaii Farmers Union, which is another way, there's a National Farmers Union Association that works at a political level at the White House. Can you just talk a little bit about that and then leave us with some closing positive things that we can all do, but tell us how far since you've been involved, things have happened at the White House and how just a letter or the th- simple things that each of us can do, but you, the you, Farmers Union is making inroads in the White House. And I would like you to, speak to that and then bring us back to the grassroots things we can do.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, I've been involved with the Hawaii Farmers Union United, I guess, for the last six years. I've been president of the Kohala chapter on and off and uh, on the state board of directors. It is a national organization. So there's uh, national you know, lobbying efforts or state lobbying efforts. And then we do some local a uh, friend building with our local politicians to help move things for our small family farms. Uh, you know, at Hawaii State Legislature, where I was mostly involved, because um, I was a chair of the legislative committee for three years, uh, there, basically prior to the Farmers Union, there was no advocacy for the small family farm. Uh, the only organizations representing agriculture that were showing up were Syngenta and Monsanto and DuPont and, you know, uh, some of the other guys, right? Uh, Mm. So it was basically big agrochemical companies that were growing seed. Um, You know, they continue to grow seed in Maui and Oahu, Molokai. There's some GMO seed growing operations. A lot of people don't know that Hawaii has the most amount of uh, open uh, field trials of genetically modified corn of any state in the nation because mm. of our year-round growing season they're able to pull off you know three corn crops a year and so that that was going on and there's been a lot of pushback on it but the union uh union's role at the legislature hasn't been to fight those companies it has really been to promote uh the needs of small family farms and uh I'm really happy to say that, like, we've built a lot of good friends, you know, among the senators and representatives, and the union is viewed in a really positive light to the point where the state uh, president is now on the Department of Agriculture uh, board, which is really huge because we have a voice there. And um, the bills that I worked on were a A farmer training bill that would create funding for farmer training programs statewide and then a food hub bill that uh, would create basically capitalize our food hubs Uh, there's about 14 plus food hubs now statewide yeah Uh, food hubs are kind of a growing movement I guess across the nation and Hawaii to again create these regional centers where we can aggregate process and distribute produce while meeting uh, FISMA guidelines, the new, uh, federal safety modernization act guidelines, which were really, really bad for, for small farmers. I mean, small organic farmers were pretty opposed to them. They seemed like they were ridden by industry and really ridden to kind of take the small guys out of the equation. So food hubs has been like an inspiring movement, you know, inspiring way that we can, um, access that community control over our food system. I mean, it gets back to that kind of food sovereignty. You know, by having these food hubs, we can have sovereign food systems that are, are feeding our, our community. And so those, those bills, you know, it takes years to get stuff passed through the legislature. They're uh, moving along from what I hear. I'm not the legislative chair anymore, but still really involved with our chapter um, but I did hear that the uh, Food Hub bill's looking really good and may be passing the session. So that's super inspiring.
0: That's super inspiring. And it's super inspiring that you're in there working with these youth and getting them in. I know some of the kids that you've inspired have been little political warriors and you've gotten behind these kids and motivated them to get involved, whether it's with an in, in entrepreneurial perspective, a farming perspective, a political perspective. There's all these different ways that we can empower the youth to make a difference in our transforming the industrial food complex back into a Garden of Eden. And Dash, I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for all the dedicated years of service that you have done, the hard work you've done, the thousands of individuals that you've inspired to eat like the Future Matters, Um, you're cultivating conscious cures, solutions for the 21st century pandemics of the 21st century, which is a pandemic right now. Um, And I I just really honor you for that. And I honor everybody who came to the call today and was listening to the replay. And I just wanna thank you again and again, Dash, for your service and let you guys all know that next week's guest is gonna, follow kind of what what Dash has brought to the table, which is so amazing. Her name is Robin Richardson and she is from the Global Food Collaborative. She started that 20 something years ago and we are gonna be looking at Valuing our life from the perspective of valuing our food chain, which is kind of a takeoff on where we are right now to really look she's going to take another deep dive look into the political and economic systems and the engines that have brought us so far backwards, and what we can do to move into the future in a much brighter, much more transparent, holistic and healthy vision for our children. And again, I wanna thank you so much Dash for coming. You are living like the future matter and you're a huge example. And just give us all, tell you can put it in here, but the best way for people to get a hold of you and just let us know um, what you're up to right now, if you're looking for interns or what, what shout out you'd like to give us right now,
1: Okay, yeah, I mean, if you're coming to Hawaii, we, we do have accommodations on our farm. We, we offer a weekly uh, farm tour and farm-to-table dinner, which has been, like, very popular. People are absolutely loving the tour. It's a I think it's a four-course meal that uh, Chef Erica is doing right now. All local boar, grown fresh from the farm. Um, if you want to just tour the grounds, we do a, a Tuesday tour as well. And then, yeah, there's opportunities. We have like a bunch of class series coming up uh, for the remainder of this year. And then we're gonna be doing even more farmer training in 2023 that's gonna be open to the public. So you can learn about either of those offerings at uh, starseedranch.com or hipagriculture.org, which is our nonprofit organization. And uh, yeah, hope to see some of you all out here in Hawaii or maybe tune into one of the online classes.
0: And you guys, I will have all these links in our Facebook group. They will be on the replay, and they will also be on our, our podcast station and YouTube. So again, thank you so much, Dash. And anybody who wants to stick around after uh, we're going to sign off now, we're going to stop the recording, and and you guys can stick around and do. A, we'll do a little farm tour. Dash, you can take us around your farm, and I'll take you around our little farm. We'll check out the pineapples. And again, thank you all for coming into the replay. Big big love, and remember to go out and do something positive today for yourself for your community and for the world big love and aloha